The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody here, everybody in the room, everybody tuning in online. I want to welcome you all in the name of Jesus Christ today. I'm really, really glad that you're with us this morning. I'm glad to be here worshiping with you, and I'm excited to be back in the pulpit this morning. Uh, But I want to echo all the gratitude to our fantastic guest speakers, guest preachers from this past summer. Uh, Let's give them a round of applause so wonderful. People outside, people within our congregation, thank you so much to everybody who contributed. What a rich summer of preaching we got from so many. But it's exciting to be here and to be moving into another season, and in that vein, I want to invite you to be here a couple weeks from now on Sunday, August 27th for our back-to-school carnival our annual back-to-school carnival, always a blast. Gonna be all the great hits. We'll be here again. We'll have the cakewalk, treats and goodies, the dunk tank. It's all back. It's out here at 5 p.m. two Sundays from now. So all kinds of good stuff. All are welcome. Invite your friends and neighbors, and I hope you will be here on August 27th for our back-to-school carnival. But this morning, we are continuing in our sermon series, our, another annual tradition here at the Springs called the Word of the Lord. And our lectionary text is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. So I'll read through our text, and then we'll give thanks to God for the gift of his word once again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, The wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We come with gratitude in our hearts this morning, Heavenly Father. God, we praise you for the gift of your word, your living and active word, Jesus. And God, we ask 
for the gift of your Holy Spirit to illuminate that word to us. We ask for your spirit to give us the power to love and cherish and believe and follow your word, Jesus Christ. God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Timothy Keller opens his best-selling book, The Reason for God, with a surprising quotation. On the first page of the introduction, he has a quote, I find your lack of faith disturbing, hyphen Darth Vader. And it's strange to find yourself agreeing with the words of Darth Vader, But these pretty generic words, I think, are applicable to many of us. We find the experience of a lack of belief, a lack of trust, of doubt, unsettling. Often the most unsettling of these experiences is our own lack of faith. Dan Lovejoy shared movingly in his communion homily about a month ago about a season of, of doubt and struggle with belief and trust in his life. And many of us have walked through that. And we're surprised to find in the pages of the gospel that even Jesus' closest friends and followers struggle to trust and believe. Remember that crazy scene at the end of Matthew's gospel? Remember the risen Jesus has gathered them on the mountain in Matthew 28. And in verse 17, it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Even Jesus' closest followers and friends, right there, doubt. And of course, there's Thomas, doubting Thomas, as we call him, who features prominently at the end of John's gospel. And then in our text this morning, there's Peter, of whom Jesus says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Which, if you're Thomas, aren't you just a little peeved that we don't call him doubting Peter? He's like, I'm not the only one. Clearly, it's right there. There's probably so many debacles to choose from for Peter, though, so I guess Thomas gets doubting emblazoned next to his name for eternity. But Peter's problem in this text is doubt. It's a lack of trust in Jesus, a lack of faith. So I want to ask, what can we learn from doubting Peter this morning? What can we learn, and why does Peter doubt Jesus? Well, I think one of the reasons people and Peter doubt Jesus is because Jesus does startling things, and he makes startling claims. He's he's walking on the water. That's not a normal thing for a human being to do. Right? But more than what he's doing, take a closer look at what Jesus says, this unbelievable claim that he makes. Right? So in verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, so we have to go back to Exodus chapter 3 here. Remember when God gives Moses the divine name at the burning bush? He says, I am who I am, Yahweh, I am. That's God's name. He gives that to Moses to give to the people. 
And if you look at the Greek here of what Jesus is actually saying, he says, take heart, it is I. The Greek there, ego a me. So when they translated Exodus 3 into the Greek, do you know how I am gets translated? Ego a me. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus is claiming for himself the divine mantle. Jesus, and he does this in John's gospel as well. Jesus is saying, take heart. You can't walk on the waves without the power of the divine. And actually, we see that throughout the Old Testament. In Job chapter 9, we learn that he alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. In Psalm 77, it says, God, you walked through the sea. You passed through the surging waters but left no footprints. So Jesus is saying, take heart. Don't be afraid. I'm the one with the power over the wind and the waves. I'm the one with the power over the chaos. I am. And at the end of this story, they're going to worship him in the boat as the son of the living God. And they've already seen Jesus do this, right? In Matthew 8, he's already been in the boat with them and they woke him up and he calms the storm. They know that Jesus is more than human. This Messiah is the Son of God. I am. He makes startling claims. He does startling things so the disciples deal with doubt of these startling things and claims. And we sometimes deal with fear and doubt and lack of trust, like the apostles. All right, so what is our response to doubt? All right, well, I've talked before about kind of these two extreme responses that we can sometimes have to doubt. Right? On the one hand, there's a tendency for us to feel shame about our doubts. Right? We want to hide them. We, we feel shameful. We feel bad about our questions, our, our lack of trust and belief. Well, if you're here this morning, I hope you know that this is a church where you don't have to be ashamed of your doubts. This is a church where you don't have to be afraid of your questions. You can bring those into the light. You can expose those questions to the light. You don't have to feel shame, hide those things. But on the other hand, I think I'm speaking from personal experience here. Sometimes we're so riddled with doubts that we decide, okay, I'll, I'll reverse the polarity and I won't feel shame. I'll celebrate my doubts, right? I, I'm just being totally honest. I'm really good about turning a negative thing into some kind of positive ego boost, right? So I, I have questions. I have doubts. I must be a smart Christian, right? How arrogant of me, right? Actually, Christian Wyman nailed me on this. He's got a book called My Bright Abyss. He's a writer, and he he talks about his experience struggling with belief while he was going through cancer and a bone marrow transplant, and he says this. He says, be careful. Be certain that your expressions of regret about your inability to rest in God do not have a tinge of self-satisfaction, even self-exaltation to them. That your complaints about your anxieties are not merely a manifestation of your dependence on them. Ouch. 
Someone's been reading my email. All right, in fact, I found an old journal entry of mine where I had written something like, without doubt, there's no room for faith. And I just disagree with 22-year-old Brett on that. You ever disagree with your 22-year-old self? Some people have a beautiful gift of faith and are perhaps not as plagued by doubts or questions as others of us are. Right? So I think we avoid the two extremes. We avoid shame for our doubts. We avoid celebrating our doubts. But then, how do we respond? How does Peter respond to his doubt in this story? I think when we think of this story, we think first of Peter's doubts out on the waves. That's the climactic moment, right? That's where the worship song, Oceans, kind of begins, right? You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail, kind of channeling this story. But the doubts and the fear and the lack of trust begins earlier in the story, right? They're battered by the wind, And Peter, when Jesus gives this divine declaration, take heart, I am, it is I, do not be afraid. This is how Peter responds in verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He addresses him as Lord, so he's kind of on the right track, but I think maybe the single most overlooked word in this story is right next to it, if. If it is you. Jesus says, I am, it is I. And Peter makes it a conditional. Peter makes it a hypothesis. Lord, if it is you, Call me to come out to you on the waters. Lord, if, if it is you. Right, so Peter is seeking confirmation. Peter's seeking verification. And this is another way that we can respond to our doubts. Right, we think, all right, if I can just nail my faith down with 100% certitude, then I will no longer need to have faith. Well, that doesn't make sense. All right, if I could just access the best archaeological evidence and the best historical scholarship on the Gospels, and if I could just have the most amazing mountaintop spiritual experiences, then I could totally nail this thing down 100%. I could confirm it, certify, verify. Now, don't get me wrong. I I think it's really valuable to spend time searching out our questions, seeking the best wisdom and truth and answers that the Christian tradition has to offer. I think that's really valuable. I must because I spend a lot of time doing that. And if you want resources, I'm, I'm happy to give some. But at the same time, we have to recognize that we cannot prove Jesus in a way that removes the need for trust in Jesus. Can't do it. We can't prove Jesus in a way that removes the need for trust in him. We think, well, if I could just get so close enough to touch him. 
But the disciples were right there. They were right there. They saw it. They heard it. And some doubted. I think this is what actually the the Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he gets this right, I think, because he says, look, this is a paradoxical truth that God becomes man, right? And it takes an eternal decision to give yourself to this truth. So there's no amount of historical probability that can possibly add up to an eternal decision. It has to be a leap of faith. It has to be a leap of trust. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Seeing through a glass darkly has to be enough on this side of eternity. Knowing in part has to be enough on this side of eternity. We can't prove Jesus in a way that removes the need for trust in Jesus. There's a scene I love uh, towards the end of the TV show, Better Call Saul. If anybody watched that, it just finished up about a year ago. And in the last season, there's a scene where Saul Goodman, he's already become the kind of slimy, evil defense attorney that he becomes. And he meets up with a prosecutor acquaintance friend named Bill at the courthouse. And Saul has kind of pulled a fast one over the justice system in Albuquerque. He's done some bad things. And Bill says, hey, we know you've done this, this, and this. And Saul kind of blows up at him. And he says, that's a lot of big talk, Bill. Prove it. Prove it, Bill. And Bill just kind of slowly turns to him and says, There's proving, and then there's knowing. There's proving, and then there's knowing. And this side of eternity, we have to be content with knowing in part. This side of eternity, we have to make the leap of trusting Jesus even when part of the picture remains obscured. In fact, one of the earliest images paintings, depictions of Jesus that we have is of this scene from Matthew 14. This is a painting that came from around 240 AD. They date it in Syria, a place called Eura Duropos, and it was basically adorning the wall of a room in a house church that was devoted to the baptistry. And so you could have been baptized in this Syrian house in the third century and come up and seen this on the wall. But there's questions surrounding it, right? We actually aren't quite sure which of the two figures out on the water is Peter and which one is Jesus. So people think the one on the left is kind of dressed like Jesus, but his Feet seem to be a little below the waves, which makes you think it's probably Peter. And later in other depictions of the scene, Jesus is usually on the right. But in that case, the image of Jesus we have is only partial. Right? It's obscured. In other words, we see through a glass darkly. We know in part, we don't have unimpeachable, exhaustive knowledge. We have our trust in Jesus. We walk by faith and not by sight. It has to be a leap. 
And to his credit, Peter makes the leap. Peter does make the leap, and I think he does it for more than just confirmation, more than verification. I think he does it for a praiseworthy reason as well. Peter wants to be close to his Lord Jesus. He wants to imitate his Savior Jesus. He wants to participate in the power and life of Jesus. And so, He does. Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, I think it's interesting that Peter puts this conditional out there. If it's you, command me to come to you. Jesus says, come. But Jesus hasn't given Peter anything that he hadn't already given him. Right? He, he just says, come. It could still be a ghost. It could still not be Jesus. But Peter wants to test Jesus' words because he trusts his test of Jesus' words more than he trusts Jesus himself. Right? Like if Laura says, I love you, Brett, should I say, uh, hold on, I'm going to suspend judgment on that for a second. Let me go find some other reasons out here to believe that you could possibly be telling the truth that you love me. And then I can believe it. How long is my marriage going to last with that posture of suspicion? But Jesus indulges Peter's request. Right? Peter wants to be close to Jesus. Jesus says, come. But Peter, he takes that leap, but it's with this kind of doubting courage, right? So he steps out, and when he noticed the strong wind, in verse 30, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt Somebody pointed out the irony of Peter, whose name means rock, sinking like a stone. He steps out, and he gets afraid. He loses his nerve, his trust. Why? He noticed the strong wind. Well, the wind has been present the whole time. This is the second of three times the wind is going to be mentioned in our passage. Remember, the wind was against them. It's always been there. So Peter always had the choice to focus on the wind. He could have always done that. But he can also choose to focus on Jesus. He can also choose to keep his eyes trained on Jesus and trust in his declaration. There's a 4th century church father named Hilary of Poitiers who said this in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. He wrote about this story. He said, There was a reason that the Lord did not grant to Peter's fearfulness the ability of reaching him. He instead extended his hand and caught him and held him up. We're not allowed some perfect, airtight, 100% exhaustive proof of the reality of Jesus. We don't get that. We can't do that. But here's what we can do. We can trust that Jesus can save us from our need to prove the reality of Jesus. We can trust 
We can relinquish our obsession with the wind. We can focus on Jesus' face and we can simply trust that Jesus can pull us out. Jesus can save us from our need to prove the reality of Jesus. He can save us from our lack of trust. I know we want full disclosure. I know we want a life with no storms. I know we want a sea with no wind. But if we're waiting for that to choose to follow Jesus, we'll never follow. All we can do is leap and trust and know that Jesus says, take heart, I am, and the winds of doubt will not last forever. They will cease at the end of our story in verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. If you're here this morning and you haven't taken a leap of trust in Jesus, there's no reason to wait. He can't add anything further on to the divine declaration he's already given you. Take heart, it is I, I am. Don't be afraid. Believe and step out. Jesus has already given us everything that we need. He's already given us, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness by the knowledge of him who called us through his own glory and goodness. He's given us all that we need. It's there. And we can focus on the wind. We can focus on the storm. We can fear. Or we can look at Jesus and know that he can save us from our need to prove the reality of Jesus. Jesus is calling us calling us to walk more deeply in fellowship with him, calling us to give ourselves more freely, to take the risk to step out. And so we pray this morning, church, we stand and we pray, Lord, it is you. Call us to come out to you on the water. Call us to live more closely to your presence. Call us to live by your divine power. Call us to trust in your declaration. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Let's sing, church, and praise Jesus who saves.